0: John chapter 7 this morning As we work through the uh, the gospel of John we're not going through we're not hitting everything kind of picking and choosing just in general as we work through So we're jumping to John 7, verses 14 through 24 this morning. These things of the the teachings of life, of course, all of Scripture teaches us about life, teaches us about who our Heavenly Father is, about His character and His control over all things, and talks about man's sinfulness and, and the salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ, and of course, how all those things will be tied up in God's perfect timing. And here we have specifically some things that Jesus teaches us that really shocked some people, and they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to handle them. So we're going to look at those this morning. If you're able, would you stand with me as I read this passage of Scripture? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us, that our eyes and hearts and minds would be open, that we might receive this as your word as it is, that we might receive this truth and, Lord, that you would fix it in our hearts so that it would show from all that we say and all that we do. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 7, verses 14 through 24. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews, therefore, were marveling, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? Jesus, therefore, answered them and said, "'My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. "'If any man is willing to do his will, "'he shall know of, who, uh, she, he shall know of the teaching, "'whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. "'He who speaks from him, himself seeks his own glory, "'but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, "'he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. "'Did not Moses give you the law? "'And yet none of you carries out the law.' Why do you seek to kill me? The multitude answered, Well, you have a demon. Who who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one deed, and you all marveled. On this account, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and on the Sabbath you circumcise a man. Yet if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, in the uh, limited academic circles that I have traveled, I have heard a phrase used, and I am uh, grateful that it was never directed towards me to my face, although, I don't know, they may have mentioned it while I was not in the room. And that phrase is, he has been educated well beyond his intelligence. <laughs> a terrible thing, a terrible thing. Now, what that little phrase means, my, my friends in Texas would also say, big hat, no cattle, right? You ever heard that phrase, big hat, no cattle? Okay, well, he wears a big hat, but he doesn't have any cows on his farm. Well. You know, he's got all the degrees, but he doesn't really know what he's talking about. He doesn't have any clue. It might be like, like in education. I have a friend who is um, graduated with, with me from, from college, and she is a math and physics major. And uh, she was uh, working in, in the radiation field and then had some children and stayed home to, to raise those children. And the school district came after her and said, we'd like you to teach. And she says, I'm, I don't have a degree in education. She says, they said, but yeah, you, you have a degree in math and physics, okay? And we want you to teach. And, and the question is, do you want somebody who knows how to teach or do you want somebody who knows the subject, okay? Especially in a, in a field that is so technical as higher math and, and physics and things. And she is now uh, teaching within the district up, up in Pennsylvania. Well, in the New Testament times, the rabbis were very concerned about not relying upon their own authority, but quoting those rabbis who had come before them. Okay, or we would say footnoting them or referencing them. So it would be like, well, our learned teacher Gemmael says that we are to do this. So in reality, they're not saying, that's not my opinion. Okay, It's his opinion. And him before him and him before him all the way back. Now, you have to reference, they, they felt they had to reference those people to give authority to what they were saying. Now, to, to become ordained in, in the Presbyterian system, you have to pass a series of tests, like in most disciplines. But one of those tests is you have to write a what we call an exegesis paper. They give you, a uh, the powers that be, give you a passage, and you have to either exegete it, do, deal with the Greek, or deal with the Hebrew. The, the year that I did the paper, the passage was Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and I, I chose the, the Greek instead of the Hebrew, because Hebrews... For all the smart people, they take Hebrew, okay? Um, so uh, when we finished our papers, you either got a pass or a fail. And, and one of my friends actually failed it. And, and I asked him, I said, I said, what happened? And he said, I, I don't know. The only, the only comment that was written on my paper was, don't you have an original thought? And I thought, well, did you footnote everything? He said, everything. I said, how many footnotes did you have? And in a 25-page paper, he had over 200 footnotes. So the answer was no, he did not have an original thought. Okay? Everything he said, he quoted somebody else or footnoted, and, and the reader was correct. He did not have an original thought. Well, here comes Jesus, and he comes about halfway through the feast in verse 14, but when it was now the midst of the feast. So he shows up, and he begins to teach, but he doesn't quote anybody. He doesn't footnote anybody. He doesn't reference anybody. And what is worse is he comes from not the education schools, not the schools of the rabbis, not the schools of the prophets. What, what school has Jesus come from? Well, the carpenter school. So he shows up and they go, who is this guy and how does he teach with such authority? And Jesus gives them the clear answer. He says, authority is not mine. The authority belongs to the one who sent me. The teachings are from the one who sent me. Well, he got these teachings from somebody who has all the authority. Let me illustrate a little bit further here. Um, you know, you can imagine the minds of the people. Can we trust this guy who is not an expert to give us teaching on something that we have been studying all our lives? Well, if, if you came to me and, um, you said that you had um, ALS-like symptoms, and, but you couldn't really speak, or you couldn't speak. Somebody bring, bring you to me. And, um, well, they don't really speak. They only speak when they're spoken to, and they've spent time on Guam. I might say, oh, well, you obviously have uh, Bogdig disease. I won't tell you, I looked that one up. That was a tough one. Now, you might go and look at Randy and go, what do you know about obscure tropical diseases? Okay, maybe obscure theology, but not obscure tropical diseases. If you went to Gordon Cash or Diana Dowdy and and listed those and they said you have, I'd have to look it up, Litigo Bogdig disease, you might say, Is there a cure? Okay, but you didn't ask that to me because you wouldn't expect me to know those things. Same type of thing here. Jesus teaches with this great authority, and they go, Who is this guy? And where does he get this authority? He doesn't quote anybody, he doesn't quote Gamaliel, he doesn't come from the right schools or the right education background, but he teaches with such authority. Well, it's important, because these people have been taught certain things their entire lives, back many generations, and Jesus is speaking with this authority that doesn't come in that fashion. Now, think of the first time you heard perhaps new ideas. The first time you heard about something like a flat tax instead of a graduated income tax, you might have gone, huh, that's crazy. Or maybe the first time you heard about a hybrid car, okay? Or maybe the first time, and you can date yourself on this one, if you heard somebody use the phrase, home computer, and you went, that's crazy, that'll never happen, okay? And I think it was Bill Gates who said, nobody will ever need more than 64 bits of RAM, okay? Uh, what do you have? 80 gigs on your hard drive, or maybe even more. You can walk around with a stick that, ha- that carries more memory than I think I've ever thought in my life. Okay. Well, sometimes you have to give your mind some space and some time to wrap around these ideas. Okay. And and what they're hearing from Jesus, they're rebelling at immediately because that is not the norm. That is not what they had heard. Previously, It's not the way that we think. We didn't, you know, it's the seven last words of any dying organization. We've never done it that way before. So they thinking we've never thought about it that way before. They've never thought about it that way before. Jesus says, it comes from he who sent me, verse 16. And there is this great gulf between the understanding of God and the teachings of God and the understanding and preconceived notions of men. But, of course, Isaiah chapter 55 makes it clear. The Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. You shouldn't be surprised to hear things that you don't agree with when God says this is the way that they are. Now, let's look briefly at how God is revealed and viewed in, the wor- in this world. Men have attempted to describe God in a variety of ways. And perhaps one time in your life you described him this way as well. The ideal, the prime mover, God's just this great policeman in the sky ready to crush any fun that we're having. Uh, He's the unmoved mover. He's distant. He is detached. He is uh, vengeful. He's all these things, and these are the definitions of man. But when you look at how God defines himself in Scripture, it's a little bit different. Words such as holy, sovereign, creator, eternal, perfect, gracious, just, wrathful, loving, merciful, all these things are how God describes himself and how he acts in this world. One of these views looks to define God according to the finite wisdom of man. One of these views defines God according to the infinite wisdom that God has. Not only do we define God, look at God in different ways, we also need to be mindful of how we look at ourselves and how we define ourselves, and how God defines ourselves. Now, our standards and our definition of what is good, uh, right, or acceptable may not be the same as God's definition of what is right, or good, or acceptable. Now, by our own standards, Randy's a pretty good guy, right? I don't beat my wife. Uh, I carry a, I have a regular job. Uh, you know, I don't wind up in a drunken stupor every Friday night. But you know what? I got a neighbor down the road... And he can't keep a job. And the sheriff is always going to his house and breaking up domestic fights. And if you go out and check his recycle bin, you know, you'll find all these Jack Daniel bottles in there. Okay? Now, compared to him, I'm stellar. Okay, but, but according to God, that's not quite the judgment that I need to be concerned about. Because it is easy to compare ourselves to somebody because we're always picking who. I'm better than them. Okay. Now, what about the, the neighbor two doors down, who's even better than I am? Well, I don't want to compare myself to them because I'll look bad, but I'll compare myself to that guy. If, if Shaquille O'Neal were standing next to me, he would be tall, right? Okay. If I leave and Goliath comes in, Shaq is short. Goliath was you know, nine feet tall. That's two feet taller than Shaq, okay? It's all perspective. But that's how man looks at things. But that's not the way that scripture looks at things. Okay? Scripture makes it very clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who am I comparing myself to? My neighbor down the street? No. God says everybody falls into this category. There is no differentiation. There is no one who is good. No, not one. Everyone seeks after their own ways. Their own desires. Their own hearts. And the The difference of opinion between scripture and man also applies to the teachings of Jesus and the person of Jesus. We find that men said that he was possessed, that he was, uh, you know, a son of Satan as, as he was here in this world. But God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Very different view between man and God. Okay. Man said that Jesus was cursed for being crucified, yet that was the only way that our sin could be atoned for if he went and did that. Now, statistics show that almost everybody believes in heaven, and heaven is self-defined in most of the studies. Okay? Studies also show that almost everyone, almost unanimously, who believes in heaven, believes they're going to that heaven eventually. Okay, And usually it's based upon that their own good works, the quality of their lives. For many, they also believe that there is hell. Um, Some believe that hell is now, okay, that on this earth, and if you read Acts 17, that kind of uh, puts a damper on that view that this is hell. There is clearly another one waiting for those who are not in Christ. Well, the doctrine of man is all about what man thinks is right. The doctrine of God is all about what is right. There's a very, very large gulf between those two. And this can often be frightening to us because God's definition of compassion may not be Randy's definition of compassion. God's definition of what is fair may not be Randy's definition of what is fair or right or wrong. There may be a very big gulf between these two. Okay? We might say that that's not fair, but God says, I define fairness according to my perfect will, and you don't always understand my perfect will. You don't always understand what I am doing here in this world, and I may or may not reveal it to you so that you can understand it here in this world. The people to whom Jesus is speaking have in their minds that God is a certain way, that God acts in a certain way, and he acts towards them in a certain way. The problem is that they didn't define this according to God's teaching. They defined it according to their own opinions and their own views and their own judgments about how they felt God should act, which is always trouble. It is always trouble. So they look at Jesus and they say, this, this new teaching, he has no formal training. You know, he makes these claims that he gets it from the Father, from, from the one who sent him. And Jesus goes further. He says, if you've ever seen me, you have seen whom? You've seen the Father. Okay. This is crazy talk in their view. Now, we might say that, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do. Don't I communicate certain things? Aren't I able to, to make it clear to you about the things of Scripture? And say, no, not really. It only comes from the Lord. He's the one that opens our eyes story of a guy who, who he was a, he attended a church, he never believed. Okay? He didn't believe, but he just loved to torment the preacher. Okay? We don't have anybody like that in this church. Uh, but he, he would come and, and just give the preacher such a headache. And then one day, the preacher's going on and on, he's, he's, he's giving them the word, and the guy comes and he receives Christ on that day, on that Sunday. And at the end of the service, the guy comes down, and you can imagine the preacher, he's just all fired up and excited, and he comes down to him and says, what, what, what part of my sermon, you know, you know convinced you? And he says, it wasn't your sermon, it was your text. It wasn't what the preacher said, it was the word of God, okay? Anybody who speaks has authority as long as we stick to the word of God. Once we veer off into our own opinion, well, I think God is this way, well, I think it should be this way, we've lost authority. The authority is here in the Word of God. This is the power of God unto salvation. Now, not long ago, back in chapter 5, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. And they're still chewing on that. They're still upset with that. Okay, and you can see how he mentions this here in, in a little bit. Let me read a little bit. I'll start in 17. If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. There's no unrighteousness in him. It says, didn't Moses give you a law, but yet none of you carries it out? You seek to kill me. See, Jesus is saying, you are teachers of the law, but yet you are breaking the law in your, in your desire to kill me. Remember the commandment that Moses gave, you shall not kill. Okay, you shall not commit premeditated murder. That's what it says in the Hebrew. And what they are doing is they are planning to kill Jesus. And he says, you're breaking the law. And then he goes on to talk about circumcision. And it says, okay, you're circumcised on the eighth day. And here you have what happens if the eighth day arrives on the Sabbath. That was considered work. Do you not do it, even though Moses commanded it, but you don't do it? And and they said, no, no, you do it because that's the command. Is it a command of man? No, it is a command of God. That's why we follow through on these things. And Jesus is saying, you don't get upset with that, but yet I healed a man and restored him, and, but you're upset with that one. See, Jesus is pointing out their inconsistencies, their, their premeditated views of how God acts according to their own opinions. And Jesus says, do not judge by appearance, judge by what is right. Don't judge by what your eyes see. Judge by what you know God says is right. And he says, why should I believe the claims of Christ over my own view, Randy? Turn to chapter 12 of John. Say, Randy, I'm a pretty bright individual. I've survived this long without listening to Jesus. Yeah, maybe I take some of his ethical teachings and apply them. But why should I really trust his opinion and his view of things over my own? John chapter 12, verse 49. This reiterates some of what Jesus has said back in chapter 7. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father Himself, who sent me, has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. The words of Jesus are therefore the words of the Father. The words of the Father. Well, how do I know if these things are true? How do I know if Jesus has really said these things? How do I know if I need to obey his words? Well, back in chapter 7, he gives us a little test to do. Okay. Now, we all know what tests are friend of mine was sent out by his wife to buy dishes and they had little kids and and she said buy some unbreakable dishes he says unbreakable dishes you want those little plastic disney dishes or something like that she says you'll find them go ahead so he goes out and he goes to the store and he's kind of walking around wandering around and and the and the, the the person who's working there comes up to him and says can i help you sir and he says i need a set of unbreakable dishes and she takes him over to this thing here they are they're unbreakable and he says are you sure She picks one up and throws it on the ground. What's it do? Boing! It bounces. You know? She put it to the test. He bought them all. He said, that's my set. The kids will never break those. You put things to the test. Okay? And Jesus says, here is the test. If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. Verse 17 how do I know if these things are true? I will tell you what. Jesus says, if you are willing to do his will, if you put aside your own desires, if you put aside your own selfishness, if you seek the things of our heavenly Father, then he will instill in your hearts that these things are true and right. And you will know that the teachings of Jesus are the teachings of life that the will of Jesus Christ brings us life. He comes not on his own authority. He comes according to the will of the Father. The words that he says are not his own. The words he says are those of our Heavenly Father, the one who has created us, the one who has made us, the one who has placed us here today, that we should hear his word and believe it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you you have made things very simple. Christ speaks for you. He is your son. You have sent him. He has obediently come. He is of the same essence of you. You are one. And he has revealed you in this world. Yet there are those around us who do not believe. They hear the teachings of Jesus and they think that is not what I uh, think about what God should do. That is not how I think he should act. That is not how I think he cares about me or looks at me. We see the teachings of scripture and say that's not me. That's not what my heart is like. That is not how I act. I'm much better than that. Well, but you tell us you know the heart of men for you have created us. You know the way that we will act unless you intervene in our lives and provide us with that grace. And Lord, you willingly have done that in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come and laid his life down on the cross. And he has shed his blood to atone for our sin. That we might be able to stand in your presence. Not on our own accord. Not of our own efforts or work. But purely relying upon the work of Jesus Christ. That as you look at us, you don't look at us through as ourselves, but you look at us through the work of Christ, washed in his blood. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, these are the teachings of life. These are the things of Christ. And you say, put them to the test. Put your selfishness aside and cling to them and see if you are not Convicted and convinced that these are true. Lord, come upon us today that we might stand before you, not on our own accord, but trusting in Christ, that we might put you to the test and, and put away as much selfishness as humanly possible and cling to these things and know that they are right, for they are the things of eternal life, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we prepare for communion, please turn to 258. When I survey the wondrous cross. We'll sing the first two verses of 258. Let's stand.